Welcome to the Psych Experience. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Psych Experience. Today, we'll have the fourth episode of the Refractory Symptoms series. Um, and this one smells like an antique store. Oh, boy. It should. It should. <laughs> it should. So these concepts, suppression and projection, um, are pretty old, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are. But, but the fact that they survive time and they persist in the sense that they are seen as, as real things, mm-hmm. you know, by different schools of thoughts, you know, maybe with the exception of... Uh, there's, there's an associated concept to projection that is projective identification. Um, but the fact they, they survive... You know, and they are like more than 100 years old and they are seen as real things by m- multiple observers or anyone that works in clinics, so to speak. That, that speaks volumes, despite the fact that they're old. So I, I guess we can start with suppression. And as we, as we go, we, we make the bridge in between refractory, uh, with refractory symptoms. Deal. Let's do it. So suppression, suppression can be understood in many ways depending on theoretical approaches. One would be roughly pushing away from consciousness some undesirable thoughts or emotions or feelings. From a behaviorism perspective, and, and considering the work on um, uh, verbal behavior written by Skinner, that would be the equivalent to lying to yourself about something, which pairs a bit with denial. Would you mind... Um Tell to the listeners why you frequently frequently jump from psychoanalysis to behaviorism and vice versa. <laughs> sure. So mostly, I think I do that mostly because they seem as antagonistic in many senses. In, in fact, Skinner dedicated a fair amount of time to criticizing psychoanalysis. So when stuff matches or they describe the same phenomena under different lens, I get all giddy. And then I, it's like, for, for me, that's a way of saying, okay, this must be hot. Cause <laughs> you know, uh, as opposed to, you know, you know, you know, people in the field may refer to psychology as religion as mm-hmm. we have seen before. Uh, yeah. One of our friends do so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So back to the suppression topic. All right. So, uh, so there's a few things to consider when we talk about suppression. One would be that for Freud, you can only suppress the cognitive part of something meaning you cannot really suppress an emotion, but only the awareness of that emotion. So considering that emotions are this very basic behavioral pattern, um, this is a way to look at them, okay? So bear with me. Right. So, so, so emotions are the, a very basic behavioral pattern triggered by the relationship with the environment. And um, the, the result of the suppression of the awareness of the emotion is that the emotion will continue to sap your behavior. Or, if you will, like inter- intentionality, like towards a given direction, even if you're, if you're, even if you're not aware of it, because you suppressed mm-hmm. after all the cognition of the emotion. Like what? Okay, so let's say you're pissed or something. Mm-hmm. You're, you're pissed with something at work. Well, you cannot just start destroying the whole place. So you tell yourself, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm, I'm bigger than that. I'm going to be the bigger person or something. You, this is kind of stuff we tell ourselves every day, so we, we keep going. Then you go about your day, you know, but every interaction you have, you're a little bit snappy. Because, you know, for the sake of this conversation, these behavioral programs, the emotions that we call, right, the, the, the behavioral programs that we call emotions, they have for the most part two main goals. 
wants to cease to exist or as in restore homeostasis or internal homeostasis. And the other one is the very action that will make it cease to exist. So for example, anger wants you to hurt someone and as such, it ceases to exist. Fear wants you to run away and as such, the fear ceases to exist. Frustration wants you to give up and as such, will cease to exist. So, so now we have someone who's pissed, unaware of it, for lack of a better word, treating everyone around him as if he was pissed and still wondering why everyone is being snappy back, snappy, like when talking to him, you know, like giving back to him in a sense, uh, or just a, pl a, a plain avoiding him. Right, because because the emotion continues to factor towards its goal. Yes, yes, in the, in the case of being mad, you know, you're angry, the, the, the goal is to hurt. So, and we see that a lot, right? Uh, I wonder what leads suppression, though. That's an amazing question. So, so many things lead to suppression. Meaning, why would we want to be unaware of something? But it's not experienced as, I rather not look at it. Instead, I think a better way to look at it is, is experienced as an acceptable impulses or ideas. And, and they're frequently influenced by morality or dressed as morality. For example, uh, I'm going to pour my heart here just for the sake of this argument. Let's say I get fired by a patient. The patient calls administration and says stuff like, Dr. Nardi doesn't listen to me. I want another provider. Now, nine out of 10 times, you know, when it happens, it happens because the patient has been misled by current standard of practice uh, for example, that uh, he should be taking benzodiazepines every day and that benzos are safe and it's what's good for him because his previous provider prescribed him a lot and everything was fine and they were happy together. Or because the patient was uh, misled to believe he has ADHD and then, you know, there's no shadow of any single reason to believe that, that that to be the case or bipolar for the same reasons, you know, that we already discussed in previous episodes. Now, those cases, it makes me feel frustrated. And, and usually I'm very aware of my frustration in my field, as you can tell, <laughs> so to, considering, right? We have you always podcast, look angry. <laughs> we have a podcast to talk about. It. So um, now, even, every, every so often, the patient presents a more legit reason, like we didn't click. I failed to entertain the patient's needs. Uh, like in one occasion I failed to entertain that the patient in front of me was a boy looking for a more supportive approach despite the fact that he was living inside of a 50-year-old man. Or uh, maybe when I use humor in catastrophic ways with catastrophic consequences. <laughs> so in those cases, I feel quite upset. But I cannot spend the whole day thinking that I'm a shitty shrink and all those automatic thoughts. And also, I don't quite like to admit that I'm that much vulnerable to those things. So I'm go mm -hmm. like, ah, forget it. Mm -hmm. But it reflects in my sense of confidence, in my mood, in my anxiety, irritability. It changes me. Even though I want to say, yeah, no, I'm professional. I can take it. It's all good. Yeah, I, don't want, I don't want to admit that I'm that vulnerable to this thing. So I keep just going. But I'm not quite the same. I'm not quite in the same state of mind as I was before. It's like shakes me. I see. Mm -hmm. Here, here's another one, and um, and to understand these motivations better, the, the listener could read Civilization and its discontents from uh, by Freud. But basically, out of morality, someone can suppress envy. You see, it's reasonable to assume that most of us feel most of the emotions. 
but it's hard to see someone admitting feeling envious, which pretty much means an ur envy means an urge to destroy something good and desirable that someone else has, and you don't. So envy gets suppressed and dressed as all kinds of BS, like disdain, morality, like, you know, when that lonely, miserable person goes like, go get a room to a couple that is, you know, visibly happy and kissing nonstop. Same stuff happens when I'm trying to, to talk to both sides of the battle, psychiatry versus anti-psychiatry. Like at times I try to start some dialogue with folks in the, on like Facebook groups of anti-psychiatry movement. Mm. And, you know, trying to learn from their, their perspective. Right. Do you really? Yeah, I do. Like for real, like, and some folks have, some folks have actually some absolutely valid and interesting angles and points, like for real, like, but frequently, and that's maybe because of polarization has been, you know, I think polarization has been the way to cope with everything in life lately. Mm -hmm. Some positions are so loose and so visibly emotional that you can't prevent, but see th that they're based almost entirely on, on intense emotions possibly even displacement and whatever intellectualization efforts are being made to justify those positions fall short of hiding that. And the same happens with psychiatrists, though. Hmm. When I present stuff that goes against what one would call standard of practice, you know, uh, or kind of a shakes whatever paradigm we were trained under, you know, I, I frequently meet with this weak rationality and dismissal of of the of the ideas when the actual emotion behind it is probably fear. Um, I mean, fear of what exactly? Well, let's take the slowly growing evidence that the benefits of antipsychotics don't seem to outweigh the risks as much as we thought. Hmm. Now, th that is a frightening prospect for someone who was like trained under such a paradigm. I try to reassure people saying that the truth is most likely somewhere in the middle of the two extreme positions, right? <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, most folks can see it unless, of course, you know, possessed by some intense emotion that is disguised as being sure of stuff. But like, and then you know, because being sure of anything in this field is, is very unlikely. Um, how about clinically? Uh, how does suppression translate into um, persisting symptoms? Well, okay. So think, think. I, well, I, I think for the most part it translates as what we see daily in, in clinical practice, and and we spoke about it before. A, a common uh, tale goes like this: the the patient shows up and and is feeling miserable. The provider goes like, whoa, wow, the hell's happening? And the patient goes like, oh, I have no idea. It's out of the blue. And the patient is misled to believe that low mood and anxiety are stemming from some brain malfunction. You know, and it has been accommodated, so to speak, in that belief many times by receiving more drugs or a different drug, and, you know, and all pretty much motivated by magical thinking. But now we know that the patient unawareness may and frequently is result of suppression. So we go about asking what's happening in different ways to avoid, you know, generating resistance. Yeah, but again, how can you tell that? How, how can you know it? All right, listen, you're, you know who you're talking to. So <laughs> because, okay, because it brings actually, it's, it's a good question because it brings us to the next topic of this thing. So 
uh, it's projection and projective identification, if we will, but um, we'll go there. So right. to exemplify this one, I'll, I'll start with the case. And names and dates omitted to protect the, the identity of the involved and, and my license. <laughs> and your license, right? Yes. <laughs> A brief <laughs> note at the, nothing, at nothing. the footer and my license. <laughs> so the patient arrives and I drop my usual note, how things are going. And, and the patient goes like, terrible, all terrible. And I go like, wow, what happened? And the patient goes, well, I don't know. It's all terrible. The medications are not working. But by now, I already know that the patient's feeling hurt. By now, already have a good sense that the patient was hurt by something. So mm -hmm. I keep playing ball, and the patient says he's livid, like angry because he was betrayed by a friend. And he's all bravado about what he's going to do, what he could do because I'm the type of guy that this and that, and loyal, loyalty, is no, <laughs> loyalty is number one in my book, kind of, you know, sort of empty talk. Uh, and then I go like, well, it seems that this thing is making you suffer a lot. Mm. And that was a very bad move because brought up resistance. I didn't say I was, um, he, his answer was, I didn't say I'm suffering. I, I'm not mm. suffering at all. I am pissed, not the same thing. Okay, so now I know he's hurt as hell and does not, he does not feel safe to admit he's hurt as hell. So he's feeling instead betrayed and angry. Right. You see, because those for a dude is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Then I listen to him a little more and figure a way to get over his defenses because my goal is to increase his self-awareness because I don't want to give him any more meds, right? Because usually I inherit these cases already swimming in drugs. Usually. So I drop a, it takes a lot of guts to make yourself vulnerable to a friend, which is a pretty much more acceptable way of saying that, um, befriending or loving someone implies accepting vulnerability and accepting vulnerability takes guts anyway as i say that the patient starts crying and finally cuts the crap and starts finally being able to say he's hurt and sad as little as he wants to admit that he's feeling those things hmm. how does how does that fit um into projection so projection is in many senses similar to suppression, but, but more relational. So one way to understand is by saying that we will suppress unacceptable aspects of ourselves and then criticize those same aspects on other people. Like of all things someone can do, of all traits a person has, we pick the ones that we find unacceptable to criticize them, the ones that we find unacceptable in ourselves. So the same, the same thing may be said about positive traits. We admire folks based on traits that we possess or have it, if not factually, at least as values or drives, and we project them in other people. Hmm. Why wouldn't you embrace positive traits uh, instead of you know, projecting them? Oh, because it's a lot of work. Maybe, <laughs> instead of positive, okay, maybe instead of positive, we could rephrase as desirable or admirable. So it's easier to see, okay? So... You're a millennial, all right? I but, am. I know, but yeah. lots of men, older people, admire the characters portrayed by Clint Eastwood in the movies. To a fair extent, right? Yeah, even the millennials. Oh, you know, good to know. Good to see <laughs> the guy. He's a, he's a crossover, right? Yeah. Across yeah, generations. Um, uh, you know, and even to, to a fair extent, his public personality, you know, he, he seems to be a neat guy. Same for uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
in, especially his public life, considering all his accomplishments in business, fame, bodybuilding, politics. Now, why project those ideals in those fellas? Because taking possession of being a tough guy who takes no crap is a lot of work and has a, a very high price to pay, mm -hmm. right? So incarceration being one of them, extra hours of work being another, exposing yourself to judgment is another one, spending hours at the gym another, taking risks for having your own business as opposed to be an employee and just comfortably curse your employer, right. it's another one. I see now. So, so back to the projection in that case. Okay, so n n how, how did I know he was hurting? Because his initial approach was hurtful to me. Hmm. His initial statements were hurtful and presented in a hurtful way. Now, you know how much stake I put in medications, right? I don't. I don't put stake in medications at all. Hmm. So the fact that he claimed that medications were having no effect, that per se would not hurt me. I'm not particularly invested in medications more than thinking of them as a tool that helps here and there. So how come I got hurt? How, how come I felt attacked? Because of the way he presented. And the way he presented from a projection and suppression and projection perspective was, I am not hurting, you are hurting. Right. So, so you're saying that your feelings also have a place in, in the therapy. They process. do. And there's another related concept here. The projective identification that, that we could actually bring up to further understand this whole thing. Now, while projection is a more solitary thing, right? Like when you dislike someone for no good reason, you don't want, you don't like that guy. And usually the thought behind this is that you're projecting on him or you're noticing on him some traits that you suppress in yourself. Um, but when you are involved in an interaction, you may see some acting out of that projection uh, where you project something of you and then you act in a way that forces the other person to behave in ways that confirm that projection. I'll give you a few examples. Mm -hmm. So a, a bully is a, is a fearful and insecure fellow. Bullies are fearful. When okay. They're suffering, something's going on. He does not accept that trait of himself, so he projects that trait into someone and then bullies that person to make that person fearful. So I'm not fearful. I cause fear. You see, this guy is afraid of me, so I'm not afraid. He's afraid. Same could be said of some patients who repetitively engage in relationships that follow a specific pattern. Like someone who suppresses aggressive urges and projects it into a partner, then... Uh, let me see how I'm going to put this thing out there. Oh, listen. The world used to be able to receive this kind of information, so let's go. So a patient who seemingly willfully enrages you so he or she takes the position of a victim as opposed to agent or aggressor. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that, is, that, is, that is very that is very frequent. So yes, uh, I am saying that emotions of the therapist have a role in therapy, if nothing else, as a clue of what's going on. There's a lot of overlap here between the projection and the concept of transference and counter-transference, but I decided not to take this route for the sake of covering the phenomenon and avoid, avoid you know, just, just to give more tools to the listeners to avoid uh, pharmacological tail chasing. Right. And how does that prevent it? Well, from a very basic level, you know, now the claim that mood and anxiety are fluctuating out of the blue are, are completely disproved because you help the patient to get in touch with what he's feeling and why. But more than that, as the reaction of that 
that patient proves, in, in, you know, the, this case that I described, improving your self-awareness, improving awareness over suppressed emotions is highly therapeutic. Leads to meaningful relief of whatever suffering was associated with it. That patient, like, like many others who are helped the same way, finish their sessions feeling grateful for the experience and, and hopefully more equipped to deal with similar events in the future considering that life always manages you know, to bring some chaos and pain. So I guess, I guess the whole story is to say this. People do suppress for different reasons what they're feeling. The feeling continues there. They just suppress the awareness of it. Frequently, they're going to project this thing in therapy. If you're lucky enough, they're going to throw that on you somehow. And you can see people coming mad at an appointment, presenting in an aggressive way, it's not aggressive, openly aggressive. It's usually subtle and within the confines of socially acceptable interactions. But your feelings are sensible. Uh, but your feelings are sensitive. I'm sorry, wrong word. Mm -hmm. Your feelings are sensitive to those variations. And you feel something. Now, you have the choice to suppress and say, no, let's just keep here talking about meds. Or you can say, well, I am feeling cornered by this guy. I'm feeling overwhelmed by this patient. Does that mean that this patient is feeling overwhelmed? And then you take that route when you're interviewing the patient. So you increase the chances that the patient is going to become aware of what's being suppressed. And then he's not going to be saying, oh, my mood is fluctuating out of the blue. He's going to say, you know what? I mean, that happens freaking every day. It's just another way to get them to realize the relationship between life and their feelings. So that's how it plays. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, are we looking into a part five for good this, question? Uh, I don't know. Uh, as <laughs> usual, I never know where this thing is going to go as, as I'm working. It's going to have 17 parts, guys. <laughs> I, I would wish. You know why? Because um, the, one of the reasons we came up with this series is because, well, we have a few problems. One of them is, you know, some disorders are persistent. Mm -hmm. And for those disorders being persistent and assuming right diagnosis, we have options. Some safer, some not so safe. Mm -hmm. But we also have enough empirical evidence to know that there's a bunch of patients out there that just don't get better. And their providers keep playing this game where they say, oh, well, let's increase this medication, let's replace that medication, let's add this th augmentation strategy. And, and that is what pretty much, you know, brings a lot of frustration to, to providers and especially our listeners and, and, and myself included is that you inherit these cases and people are taking all these medications with all the side effects and no meaningful response. Yet they're attached to it. Mm -hmm. They're attached to it because they say, well, when I'm doing good, it's because I'm taking those. When I'm doing bad, God knows why. It's because I have a chemical imbalance. So as you progress learning about psychotherapy and you learn, for example, this case is suppression, this, this example, suppression and projection, and you use that in clinic, you increase the patient's self-awareness and the patient now is not demanding further changes. And it's easier for you to say, you see, fixing life fixes mood, as opposed to say, let's take another pill, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, you know, it's a journey. Each patient is going to be a journey. And the hope is that each patient is going to get to a point where he's going to say, yeah, you know what? Let's taper this thing down. I'll be fine. Amazing. Dr. Nadi, see you again next week. I'll be there.
This podcast was offered by NEPMI.org.